What's up, fans of the beautiful game? Welcome to episode 27 of the DKB Footy Show. I am your host, David Balat. And I'm not going to waste too much time today. Let's dive straight into the action over the past week. Um, I'm going to start off with the FA Cup. <clears throat> FA Cup returned for the new year. Well, I mean, it's always been going on, but this is the first round of fixtures where the Premier League teams have been involved. And there were a few interesting scorelines, a lot of high scoring matches and one or two upsets. And I'm going to start off with the upset. I think this is one of the major upsets, maybe not necessarily the biggest upset of the FA Cup fourth round. But Wolves defeated Liverpool two goals to one. That is um, it's pretty huge, in my opinion. Wolves opened the scoring through Rahul, Rahul Jimenez on a counter-attack. These guys are a brilliant counter-attacking team. As good, if not better, than Man City, Liverpool in counter-attacks. These guys are excellent. So, um, yeah, on a breakaway... On a breakaway play, Raul Jimenez opened the scoring. And then later on, Divock Origi equalized. And then... And then, um, what's his name? Neves scored a scorcher of a goal, a long-range shot towards the, the near post of Simon Mignolet, which he didn't see in time, so his reflexes were not fast enough to save it. Um, some can say that it was poor goalkeeping, but I think it was a very well-placed shot. It really got the keeper off guard, and that was a winning goal for for um, Wolverhampton. So they defeated Liverpool two goals to one. This is ac- this is actually the third time in a row that Jurgen Klopp is losing in the in the first round of play in the FA Cup. He has never gone past the fourth round since taking over as Liverpool boss, which I think that's a pretty damning statistic. And what is all this rhetoric I'm hearing from Liverpool fans? A lot of Liverpool fans, pundits, are saying that it's not really a big deal for Liverpool to be knocked out of the FA Cup because in their minds, they're going to win either the Champions League or the Premier League. So if they can win one of those, then it's not a big deal. But I'm sorry, where is the guarantee that you're going to win either of those titles? This promises to be, in the Premier League, this promises to be one of the most um, hardly contested title races that we've seen in a while, in a long, long time. I'm talking over the past five or six years. We haven't seen a title race as hot as this, or at least up until this point, it promises to be really hot. If Liverpool had been able to get a draw against City or had defeated them, then I would have said, yeah, fair, fair enough. You guys are most likely going to win the league. But it's just a four-point gap. Like, who the hell gets carried away over a four-point gap to the extent where they're like, oh, we don't need to win the FA Cup? Bear in mind, Liverpool have only won one cup since 2010 in this decade they've only won one trophy and i believe that was the um it was the league cup i think yeah it was the 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 league cup or the efl cup as it's called today so it's not like you guys have been winning a lot of 
titles up and down and yeah it's not a big deal for you not to to, to let go of the FA Cup in pursuit of a bigger ambition but I'm sorry you guys have not won any trophies Klopp has failed to win a trophy since taking over yes the football has improved Liverpool is an excellent club to watch play but I'm sorry we need substance over style this is style over substance you cannot tell me that playing good football is enough of a consolation to make up for not winning titles not winning league titles not winning cup trophies and like look at the champions league as well you think you're going to win the champions league i mean yes you got to the final last season but who did you play on the way to the final? You played Manchester City, fair enough, very tough opposition. And then after that was what, Roma, FC Porto? Like, on a good day, you're supposed to beat both of those teams. So how? Um, what makes you think you're going to get such a lucky draw again this time around? I mean, you're playing Bayern Munich, so there's a chance that you won't even get past the round of 16. So I'm sorry for for you guys to not be disappointed about this. It's really absolutely beyond me. The likes of Liverpool and Spurs should be two teams who are really, really supposed to be up for winning this FA Cup this season because you guys have not won any silverware in recent memory. So in my opinion, if I was a Liverpool fan, I would be highly disappointed. And look at the the squad that um, Jurgen Klopp played. He played the likes of Origi and Sturridge in attack. He played Mignolet in goal. He played, um, I think, Nathaniel Klein. But it was definitely a second-string team. I mean, I understand, yes, he needs to rest his players. But I think you shouldn't just play an all-out second-string second team that way. You should mix it up a little bit with some first-team players and some second-string players. I mean, Wolves are no easy team. They've already shown in the Premier League that they are good enough on their day to give any opposition a tough time. And they're, they're playing at home as well. So, I mean, I'm absolutely flabbergasted at how at the reactions that Liverpool fans have had to this loss. In my opinion, you guys should be really, really disappointed. I mean, going out in the first round or the fourth round, but in the first round that your team is involved in in the FA Cup. Yeah, it's really, really disappointing. But I mean, that's the overall um, feeling towards the FA Cup these days. Nobody really rates the FA Cup. It's not really looked at uh, um, in the same way that it used to be in the past. I mean, in the past, the FA Cup was almost at a par with the Premier League. It was almost as good a feeling to win the FA Cup as it was to win the league. But now there are streaks behind. I don't know if it's because of the financial reasons, well, I mean, it has to be that that most that has to be like most of it, and actually, yeah, I'll I'll talk about that in a bit, but Liverpool, you should be disappointed. You lose to Wolves, and I tip my hat off my hat off to Wolves. Wolves are just impressive. They like the coach Nuno Espirito Santo. He has done an amazing job. You can say that yes, they have pretty good players that are definitely um that are definitely better than a newly uh, the average newly promoted team in the Premier League, but still look at Fulham. Fulham have good players. What are they doing? So, I'm sorry, the coach really really matters and 
I give him a lot of accolades for this win. And I hope they put in a good run because it's, it seems like Wolves, like Everton, that should really, really be trying to put in a good cup run because they know that they're not going to get relegated. They're not going to get into the Champions League. Europa League spots are going to be very difficult to get. So why not put in a good cup run? So Wolves, please keep it up. Manchester City, absolutely a obliterated Rotherham United seven goals to nil um yeah that's really there's really no need to talk more about this it was a home match against Rotherham I felt bad for them when I saw the fixture and Pep put in a very good starting 11 I mean he has a he, he has good depth Manchester City have amazing depth in their squad so it's no surprise that you can afford to play to start the likes of Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez, Gabriel Jesus, De Bruyne. I mean, yeah, look at the starting eleven he used in an FA Cup match, and they got the seven nil um, win that they wanted. So yeah, good for Manchester City. They move to fight on in the FA Cup. Then Blackpool nil, Arsenal three. Arsenal also put out a much-changed squad, but unlike Liverpool, they were not defeated. It didn't come back to bite them in the ass. They got the win, courtesy of a brace from Joseph Willock, who is the um, attacking midfielder, who's the academy product. And then um, Alexi Wobi sealed the win for Arsenal. So that's Arsenal 3, Blackpool nil. Tranmere Rovers nil, Tottenham Hotspur seven. This was a second seven nil um demolition that went on in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Nice win for Tottenham Hotspur. They also have great strength in depth. I mean, yes, the likes of Son started, but also they had the likes of Lucas Mora and yeah, some other guys. So good good win for Spurs. Absolutely obliterated Tranmere Rovers. It was just a walk in the park for them. And I I think that Spurs should also be looking, as I said earlier, Spurs should be looking to put in a very good cup run and win this FA Cup. They're still in the Carabao Cup as well, which I'll get to later on. But the FA Cup, I think Pochettino needs to go all out to win this because... One of his biggest um, criticisms has been that he has failed to win any silverware since taking over. I, for one, do not totally hold it against him because despite that, he has done a marvelous job for Spurs. Spurs were never, ever in the conversation for winning league titles or for even being top four contenders season in, season out. So he has done a, done a marvelous job. But it must be said that Spurs, they are good enough to have won at least one trophy so he should win a trophy and i think his best bet is to go all out for the fa cup so i expect them to go far last year they um faltered against united they did spursy things spurs did what spurs do always coming up short when it matters most but i think these players are getting more mature and he should, Pochettino should definitely be looking to get some silverware in what looks like it might be his last last season at the club. And um, what's next? Manchester United defeated Reading two goals to nil. 
got goals courtesy of Juan Mata and Romelu Lukaku, who is getting back in form. This is three goals in his last three matches, I believe. Two goals off the bench. This is his first start since um, Olegona Solskjaer took over. And overall, the match was very tightly contested. Arguably, Reading edged it. They had a lot of opportunities from start to finish. It looked like United were more than happy to cede possession to a championship side, which, in my opinion, was quite disappointing to see because I thought that Solskjaer's whole game was attack, attack, attack. But it was a much-changed side um, in his defense. The likes of Andreas Pereira, Fred, um, Lukaku up front, Sanchez, Mata. Um, well, I mean, these are all bona fide top-class players. And I think the difference really in this match was that United were just, they just had the cutting edge that Reading did not. They had the quality to finish off any opportunity that they got that Reading just did not have. And that was really the difference in the team. But United got the win and that's now five wins out of five for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And another interesting um, story, well, in the next round, it's going to be Arsenal hosting Manchester United in the next round of the FA Cup in the fifth round. So that's going to be a tough match because Arsenal are the um, have won the FA Cup the most in England in, in history, 13 times, and United are second in 12. So they're going to be looking out to stop United from getting closer to equalizing that number. So yeah, it's going to be a huge match. Arsenal versus Manchester United in the next round of the FA Cup. And then the biggest shock of the round, in my opinion, was Newport beating Leicester City two goals to one. I mean, Newport, they are, I saw something like they're like about 80, 80 positions behind Leicester in the English football ladder because I believe they play in League One or League Two. In Division 1 or Division 2, I don't remember. But yeah, they are about 80 positions behind Leicester and they defeated them. I really don't understand why a team like Leicester put out... Why Claude Powell put out that um, second-string lineup? As I stated earlier, the likes of Wolves and Everton, I put Leicester in the same category of teams that are going to finish in the mid-table in the Premier League in the top 10. Com- um in the top 10 comfortably. I think Leicester are sitting in seventh right now. These are teams that are not going to win the league. They're not going to get relegated. They're not going to get into the Champions League places. If they, at best, they can just get a Europa League spot. So why are teams like this not going all out to win the FA Cup? It's baffling, man. I mean, Everything is about money these days, but they've already got the money. They've got the Premier League TV money. What else are they going to get? There's really no difference between finishing 7th or 8th and finishing 16th on the table or 17th on the table. Everybody is going to get an equal share of the TV money. So why exactly are teams like Leicester playing second string teams? And I was going to talk about the FA Cup in general and how it has lost its magic. They used to say the magic of the FA Cup. Well, definitely the magic is fading because 
teams just don't take it seriously. I mean, not even Premier League, even lower division teams do not put out their strongest um, strongest teams for the FA Cup. We're talking teams in the Championship, especially the ones who are um, who are fighting for promotion, who have a very good chance of getting promoted. They would rather um, get promoted into the Premier League than win the FA Cup. I mean, put that into perspective. They would rather participate in the biggest league in the world than to win the oldest club, um, the oldest cup competition in the world. Um, it's yeah, it's it's really shocking. I'm I'm just surprised, man. I it's this is crazy to me. I don't understand it at all. I don't understand how how um, the the likes of Leicester, Everton. Other Premier League teams and Championship teams are not really, really trying to put in a good run to win it. I understand, yes, maybe the prize money for winning the FA Cup is not that high. And in my opinion, I think it should maybe be increased. I mean, it's sponsored by the Emirates, who have a lot of money. So maybe they can put in some, add in some more prize money for the winners. And maybe, and also another added incentive could be... um, could be automatic qualification into the Europa League, which I think is already a thing. I don't. I'm not really sure, or even making a qualification into the Champions League or something like that, because it's ridiculous, man. The way teams just don't take it seriously at all. And sorry, excuse me. And yeah, it's it's not it's not really good as a neutral. I I want to see good football played in the FA Cup. I mean, once it gets to the, to the semis and the final, yes, of course, because you're that close to winning. But at this stage, it's almost not even worth watching. But that's all I'm going to say about that. Over to La Liga. La Liga returned after the winter break. And they returned with a bang because the standout match for um, for La Liga was Sevilla up against Atletico Madrid. The match ended up in a stalemate. It was 1-1. It was a well-contested match, but it seemed like Sevilla definitely edged the match. The scoring was opened by Ben Yedder, and then later on, Antoine Griezmann struck a beautiful free kick um, not too far away, but from the, yeah, around like the edge of the box at the right side of the post, off of his left foot into the goal. Excellent goal for Griezmann. I really, really think that... Well, I, I don't know if I... I don't know what to think, but... I mean, this has to be Griezmann's last season in Atletico Madrid. He's not getting any younger. If he wants to make that big move to a bigger club, he has to do it now. Because... I don't know. Well, that's that. That's besides the point. Let's talk about the match. But yeah, it was a very well-contested match. Sevilla edged it, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, they both got a draw. And this draw is the result that neither team wanted because they both need to make make up some ground on Barcelona, who are slowly running away with the title. So both teams lost ground to Barcelona because Barcelona defeated Getafe two goals to one away from home. Lionel Messi opened the scoring. And then Jamie Mata got an equalizer for Hetafe before Suarez scored an absolute screamer 
from outside of the box. I mean, the technique that he used to score this goal, the way he shot the ball, the position of his body, how his, his body was in an awkward position, but he still managed to get enough power on his right foot on the ball. Ball went straight, beat the keeper. Keeper had no chance. And Suarez, I mean, what an excellent player he is. Elite footballer, that's what we call him. Because this guy, despite the fact that he is not putting up the consistent numbers that he used to, he is still able to pull out a piece of magic like that. He did that in the um, against Real Madrid in the in the um, El Clasico, where Messi was absent and. Yeah, he just he just steps up when it matters. He still has that ability. And that is just God-given ability. He was born with it. And yeah, the guy is just excellent, man. Wonderful goal for Suarez. And it was a very hard for the victory overall for Barcelona, though. They, they were not comfortable throughout this match. Hetafe put in a strong showing. But sadly, they had nothing to show for it. And now Barcelona has extended their lead on top of the table to five points. So it seems that slowly but surely, they are running away with the league title as they always do. Sevilla and Atletico, man, they both just do not look like the title contenders that they look like at the beginning of the season. And I really don't think that they have what it takes to keep up with Barcelona at this rate. It's going to take... Something like um, Barcelona losing their form once again, as they have in, um, at periods in the season. But it's just that when they have lost form, other teams have not been in the position to capitalize on it. So I don't know how Atletico and Sevilla are going to bounce back, but they definitely need to. They definitely need to. Real Madrid nil, Real Sociedad 2. Wow, Real Madrid... I don't know what to say about these guys, man. They are just in free fall. I mean, this I've never seen a more disjointed team of elite footballers as this club. One season, they win the Champions League. They are on a high. Next season, they look like they have never, ever played alongside each other. Like, they don't even know each other. And this was a very well-deserved loss at home in front of the Bernabeu fans. Losing 2-0 against Real Sociedad. What a disappointment. What a joke, man. This team needs an overhaul. Desperately, desperately need an overhaul. I keep saying this, but like, how do you lose um, Ronaldo and Zinedine Zidane? Okay, fair enough. Zidane's the coach, so you're obviously going to get a new coach. But how do you lose a 50-goal-a-season player and not replace him? I think you're going to be fine. Like, who thinks like that? Florentino Perez, man. Like... He might be the, the greatest mastermind of transfers in football history in terms of getting the absolute best players in the world and putting them all in one team. Nobody has done it like this guy has. But man, sometimes there's still some decisions he makes that just make you wonder if this guy is really, if like he has his, his, his um, head screwed on well. And... Hey, yeah, it's it's just crazy, man. And Gareth Bale as well. He Bale is just doing himself no favors at this club. So he got injured in the match against Villarreal in the two-two draw, and then in this match he was in this in the stands. He was in the stadium watching the match, and he actually left the match before the match was over. He left like in the seventy-something minutes, and 
he knows that he has not really endeared himself well to the fans. So for him to be in that position where he's injured once again, his club is not playing well, and for you to just stand up and leave, I don't know what he was thinking, man, but that's a bad move. Really, really, really bad move, man. Really bad move for you. And the fans are just tired of him. And I think at this point, you can just say that like nothing is going to come off of him being the main man for Real Madrid. He just doesn't have the legs for it. He doesn't have the fitness. He's always going to get injured. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of Gareth Bale. I freaking love this guy as a football player. He's excellent. But he should have left Real Madrid when he said he was going to after the, um, after the Champions League final. I know his head was turned because Zinedine Zidane left uh, and Ronaldo left as well. So he was like, okay, this is my time to shine. But I'm sorry. You just ain't it. He's just not a Ronaldo. He's not big enough to fill in those boots. And with his fitness problems, yeah, he, he, he needs to leave Real Madrid, in my opinion. I think nothing like great is going to come out of him staying there any longer. Whew. And now Real Madrid are in fifth position and they are now 10 whole points behind Barcelona already at the midway stage of the season. So it's safe to say they can kiss the league goodbye as usual. And Santi Solari, man, I feel bad for him because he has just inherited a really toxic atmosphere and he doesn't have the personality to turn things around. So they're definitely going to be looking to buy to get a new coach in the summer and they will be crazy not to spend absolute shitloads of money to get in the best players once again but that's about it for Real Madrid that's all I'm gonna say about that Alaves defeated Valencia 2-1 and Alaves are now up to fourth place what an excellent season that they've had as well really punching above their weight and going above and beyond all the expectations of the club and the fans and everybody. So big up to all Alaves and Valencia. Valencia are just not looking good. It's not looking good for them at all. Let me even take a look at the league table and see where they stand. So so Valencia, okay, they are currently 12th, so they are not really in danger of getting relegated or anything like that. Well, they're in 12th, but they're only on 22 points, which is just five points above Villarreal, who are in the relegation battle. Villarreal are also surprising to see the likes of Villarreal in 18th, Athletic Bilbao in 17th. What the hell is going on, man? Bilbao, Villarreal, and Valencia are all mainstays in the in the in La Liga, who should be all be challenging to get into the top four and not fighting to ward off relegation. It's really surprising what's going on in Spain, but yeah, these teams need to step it up big time. So the Carabao Cup semifinals were played. The first leg of the semifinals were played. And the standout match there was Spurs defeating Chelsea one goal to nil, courtesy of a hurricane penalty. And this penalty was highly controversial. This is the first piece of controversy, or I, I would say the biggest controversy since VAR um, got implemented in top league football. And here, this case was obviously the offside, which was first given 
offside was given, but um, Harry Kane um, continued playing on, and he was through on goal for a one-on-one opportunity with um, Chelsea keeper um, Kepa, and Kepa clearly took him out for a penalty, which was given after the the play was reviewed, and it was realized that it was actually not an offside, and Harry Kane was indeed onside. Till this day, there is controversy if he was actually offside or not. The line showed that he was not offside. The, the official VAR line showed that he was not offside. But after the match, Mauricio Sarri actually took his laptop and showed it to the, to the, to the match officials, showing that Hurricane was actually offside. I have seen, I've tried to watch this numerous times and I'm still not sure if it was or not. Right now, I'm leaning towards saying Hurricane was onside, he was not offside. And I say this because when you look at the part of his body that was ahead of um, Aspilicueta, who was the last defender, it's actually his arm and his shoulder. Um, more of like most of his arm, I don't know if his shoulder was offside, but. One thing football fans need to know is that an offside, a player can only be, be offside if a, posi- if, if a part of his body that he can use to score is offside. So basically, if your arm is offside, you're not offside. It's only a part of your body that you can use to score a goal legally that can be called offside. So based on this, I think Hurricane was onside, but it was a very tight call and... That controversy is going to go on for a while, I believe, especially if Chelsea get knocked out. I'm sure Chelsea fans are going to go crazy on social media more than they already have. But yeah, about the game. So Spurs um, won one nil, but it was a really cagey affair. I think Spurs game plan was to get the goal and lock up shop because that's exactly what they did. Chelsea dominated possession. I think they dominated play in terms of the balance of the way the game went. And they were unfortunate not to get a goal. Well, they didn't really create any clear-cut opportunities, but they had most of the ball. They pressed Spurs' defense. Spurs were happy to let them have the ball, to just sit back and absorb the pressure. And luckily for them, it played out well. Chelsea, though, they have a lot of issues in that attack. That attack is, is poor. That attack is not the standard of a top four team in the Premier League. They need a new striker and possibly a new winger. Callum Hudson-Odoi started the match and he put in a good showing. This is just like, I think, the second or third start he's ever had in his Chelsea career. And you can easily see why Bayern Munich wants to sign this guy. So he's good. He's a good prospect. But overall, Chelsea need new attackers they need new attackers seriously and yeah the second second leg is going to be it's still up for grabs i mean it's just one nil it's still very very close to call and i'm sure chelsea are going to go all out to win this match it's going to be very interesting to see how that match pans out manchester city another demolition they absolutely obliterated Burton Albion in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup, nine goals to nil. Gabriel Jesus bagged four goals in this match, and yeah, it was was an absolute slaughter. This back-to-back now, in these two last matches in the the Carabao Cup and in the FA Cup, 
City have now scored 16 goals and conceded zero in their last two matches. That's just insane. Scoring nine here, scoring seven against Rotherham. These guys look back in form. The, the slight dip in form that really seemed to have derailed their whole season, or at least the Premier League season of the past month, has um, they fully recovered and they're now back balling again in full confidence. They've got their players back. De Bruyne's back. David Silva's back. And the likes of, um, of Mendy, Benjamin Mendy seems to, I think, almost be back in training. So, yeah, overall, man, Manchester City, absolute demolition. It was not a contest from the beginning to the end. De Bruyne opened scoring, and from there, the floodgates just opened up, and Burton Albion had no chance. So, basically, Manchester City are through to the final. They might as well not even play the second leg or play literally their academy players who have never ever played a senior professional game before. They can play them in the second leg, and they're still fine. The big one is Spurs against Chelsea. So, the winner of Spurs against Chelsea is going to play against Man City in the final. At least it's going to shape up to be a very good final because either of these teams will be a very good opposition for Chelsea. Sorry, for, for Manchester City. So I'm looking forward to that. And though it must be said, the Manchester City fans are quite disappointing. The stadium was like literally half empty or even less than half filled to capacity in a semi-final of a cup match. I, I know they're playing against Britain Albion, but come on, like... City fans can do better. This is why the fans get criticized every time of being the most flaky fans, of being fake football fans, because they cannot even fill a 50,000 seats at the stadium. Disappointing, man. And I believe that the, that the fans don't deserve this beautiful style of football that the club is playing. They don't deserve it because these guys are playing the best football that the club has ever seen in its history. And they can't even be bothered to fill up a stadium disappointing and um yeah over to french football so the coupe de la ligue was played and shockingly psg were defeated at home one goal to two against gengong gengong are literally bottom of the league in ligon and they came up to the parc de prince and defeated psg two goals to one PSG opened the scoring through um, Neymar not too long after a penalty was awarded to, to Gengong, which Marcos Thuram stepped up and missed. He played it wide, not on target. And moments later, they were made to rule that missed opportunity as Thomas Mounier, who actually um, gave away the penalty, put in a beautiful cross for a free header for Neymar to slot into the right um, side of the post of the goal and make it 1-0 for PSG. And then moments later, another penalty was awarded to Gengong and Marcos Turam, who had missed the first one, stepped down for this one and substitute Yeni Ngbakoto came on to score the penalty and make it 1-1. And then in the 92nd minute, another penalty was awarded as... I think it was Thiago Silva, I don't remember, but somebody brought down uh, Marcos Turam in the PSG box. And he stepped up 
with an opportunity to make amends for the first penalty that he missed and he had no problems this time as he dispatched of the penalty giving Gengong the upset of all upsets defeating PSG two goals to one. I really can't remember the last time PSG failed to win any domestic cup in France well except from the league title that they lost to Monaco but in terms of cups They've literally won every cup title since the Qatari owners took over. So it's really shocking for them to have lost this match. And bear in mind, they played their best attacking eleven. It's only like the likes of Cavani and Dani Alves that didn't start the match. But everybody else was there. Mbappe played. Um, Neymar played. I, um, I can't remember if Verratti played. But Di Maria played. Um... The keeper was Ariola, Tomamunie played, and yeah, they played a very strong attacking eleven. And it's surprising Tuchel will be very disappointed for this loss. But that being said, they're going to win the league, and the main thing that they want is the Champions League. I still think they are so way far off being contenders for the Champions League, but let's see how that goes. I mean, now they have added motivation to win it. So they're definitely going to have to go all out for that. But they lost this one and they're out of the Coupe de la Ligue, losing 2-1 at home to Gengong. And then the fixtures for this weekend start off with the Premier League. And we've got a showdown between Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United at Wembley Stadium. There's a few storylines leading up to this match because... We all know that it's no secret now that Manchester United have Mauricio Pochettino as their first choice to take over after next, um, at the end of the season, for next season. And also, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer obviously wants to keep the job. He wants to keep the job on a permanent basis. And this, there is no better opportunity for him to stake his claim as the guy to take over Manchester United than beating Spurs away from home at Wembley. This is going to be huge. It's also going to be his first real test. Since taking over, he's basically only played teams that are either in the relegation battle or are mid-table teams or are really out of form. He's only played the likes of Cardiff, Bournemouth, Newcastle, and um, what's the last team? And Huddersfield. These None of these teams are anything compared to what Spurs have to offer. So this is a huge, huge match for Manchester United, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, not necessarily for United, because I think it's safe to say that we have already chalked off this season, and anything that we get besides from beautiful football is a bonus. If we get into the top four, that's a huge bonus. If we win any silverware, that's huge as well. But in terms of the league, it's almost a foregone conclusion. But Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be looking to set a mark, to leave his mark on the Premier League and to really stake his claim as the guy to take over at Manchester United. So I'm really, really looking forward to this match. I think it's going to be a very open attacking match. Finally, since Mourinho has now left, we can now expect United to actually go all out and actually play proper football against big teams. And I'm, I, for one, I'm really looking forward to this match. I can't wait. Spurs versus United. Let's go. 
Brighton versus Liverpool. Liverpool's first match since losing their first match of the season against Manchester City. The lead at the top of the table has been cut down to four points. And I don't think they could have asked for a better match to be able to bounce back than playing against Brighton, even though it's away from home. I expect Liverpool to dispatch of Brighton very, very easily. I expect them to maybe win 3-0, 4-1, something like that. But a very good victory for Liverpool, I expect, so that they can bounce back from that loss against City. But it is going to be interesting to see if they do, because as I said last week, the hallmark of a great team, of a championship-winning team, is how they respond to defeat. So Liverpool has suffered their first defeat. Let's see how they respond to that. Then it's Manchester City versus Wolves. This is another entertaining match that I'm looking forward to. City, easily the favourites for the match. But mind you, Wolves got a draw against City in the reverse fixture at their stadium. I can see this match going a lot of ways. I mean, it really wouldn't shock me if City obliterated Wolves because they are in that sort of form right now. When they're in that form, nobody is safe. But Wolves... They are so, so good against top six opposition. And it would be huge if they got something out of this match. Really fucking huge if they do. So I'm looking forward to this match. I expect it to be entertaining because I know Wolves will not just sit back. I mean, they will defend because they're good at that, but they will create chances. So it's all about them taking taking their chances. And let's see if they can. Then we've got West Ham versus Arsenal. It's a London derby. Expecting West Ham to put in a good showing. This match could go either way. It could be a draw. It could be a West Ham win or it could be an Arsenal win. I can see anything happening and it wouldn't shock me at all. Arnautovic is finally back and firing once again. Philippe Anderson is still in form. And the likes of Andy Carroll, Andy Carroll are back. Andy Carroll has been a bane. In Arsenal's existence. I mean, I can't count how many headed goals he has scored against them. They basically do not know how to handle this guy when he is in the form of his life. Well, barely any defense can handle um, Andy Carroll, but more so Arsenal. So Andy Carroll's back. Chicharito is also there. So, so many options for West Ham to use in this match against Arsenal. And I expect it to be a very entertaining match as well. I'm really looking forward to that. That's actually going to be the early kickoff on Saturday. So, what a way to open up the um, weekend and the return of the Premier League after a week off. Then, Chelsea versus Newcastle. It's going to be an interesting match. Because um, Chelsea drew their last match against Southampton at Stamford Bridge. And we all know Newcastle are going to come in with the exact same game plan that Chelsea came with. That, sorry, that, that Southampton came with. That is going to be parking the bus. And Rafa Benitez is well known for doing that. So it's going to be a tough match for Chelsea. I think it's going to be very tough for Chelsea. Once again, it's going to be up to Eden Hazard to open up the scoring to get something in this match, an assist or a goal, because the other members of that Chelsea attack are just not playing well. Pedro is back, though. Pedro has been good under this Mauricio Sarri system, and I expect him to start the match if he, if he is fully fit. I expect him to start. So we'll see. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Chelsea to break down this Newcastle defense because they are going to be 
all out to defend and to get something out of this match, a draw or a win. But it's going to be interesting. Then over to La Liga. In La Liga, we've got Barcelona versus Aiba. Should be a straightforward win for Barca. Atletico Madrid versus Levante. Atletico Madrid need to get back to winning ways to put more pressure on Barcelona. Real Betis versus Real Madrid. Real Betis are favorites for this match. Wouldn't surprise me if Madrid lost heavily once again. This team is just in free fall and I don't have any expectations for them. Athletic Bilbao versus Sevilla. Tough match for Sevilla. Sevilla have been drawing all of their away matches. The past like four or five away matches, they haven't won an away match since is it September of last year or is it October? So they need a win because they're losing ground in the title race. So they need to defeat Bilbao. Bilbao are struggling for um, in the relegation battle this season, but we all know they have the players to step up whenever big games come up, and I expect them to do that in this match. Girona versus Alaves. Let's see if Alaves can get another win and maintain their top four position. The Coppa Italia. So Italian football is back after the, the winter break. And it's back with the Coppa Italia. Coppa Italia is going to be the standout matches there are Bologna hosting Juventus. Juventus are the defending champions, so I'm sure they're going to be looking to get back to winning ways after the winter break with a win over Bologna. Sampdoria versus AC Milan. Milan, I don't really know where their priorities are really, if they're going to be focused on getting into the top four or getting some silverware. If they're focused on getting into the top four, I suspect that Gattuso will play a weakened lineup for this match. But we'll see. Napoli versus Sassuolo. Napoli should be looking to winning a cup because they have also not really won any silverware despite putting in good performances over the past few seasons. They've firmly established themselves as the second best team in Serie A or at least among the top three. But they need to win some silverware as well because they've got some exciting players in that squad and they're going to lose them really, really soon if they don't start winning things. So I expect them to put in a decent cup run this time around and they play against Aswolo. So that's a good, nice home fixture for them. And then Inter Milan versus Benevento. Inter Milan seem like their position in the top four is quite safe as well. So they know they're not going to win the league. I think they should go and try and win the Coppa Italia. So a great match for them as well because they play Benevento, who are not the strongest opposition. Then the Super Coppa Italiana, or the Italian Super Cup, is going to be played over the midweek. In the, um, it's going to be played abroad in Saudi Arabia. It is going to be played at the King Abdullah Sports City in Jeddah, and usually. The Super Cup is supposed is I mean it's usually the curtain raiser to the season, so I don't really know why they're playing it now when it's mid season. But it's between Juventus and AC Milan. Juventus obviously won the league and the Coppa Italia last season. They got the double and they're playing AC Milan because AC Milan came second in the Coppa Italia. So that's why Milan are going to be playing against Juventus. But there has been a lot of controversy regarding the match being played in Saudi Arabia because 
if any of you follow the news, you all know about the killing of this um of this dissident journalist, Saudi Arabian journalist who was a permanent resident in the U.S. That's Jamal Khashoggi. He was highly critical of the Saudi Arabia um monarchy, of their royal family, and he got killed by the Saudi Arabian government, probably ordered by the the um crown prince MBS Mohammed bin Salman. And yeah, he got killed in very gruesome circumstances, and there has been a lot of criticism by the um from di- many countries all over the world regarding this killing because it was obviously I mean it's it's a bad thing, it's a really gruesome way that they did it as well. The fact that they killed him was bad. It was gruesome the way they did it. I don't want to get into those details here. But if you're interested, you can just go Google it, read up about it. But yeah, they killed an American permanent resident on Turkish soil. And since then, there's been a lot of backlash against companies and entities that want to organize events in Saudi Arabia. And then in addition to that, there's also been controversy because of women's rights issues in Saudi Arabia. It's publicly known the issues that women have had in terms of liberating themselves in their strife of freedom in Saudi Arabia. It's quite a conservative country when it comes to women's rights. And in this match, women are only going to be permitted to sit in the family section of the stadium. That's only like 15% of the capacity of the stadium that is available for women to sit in. And in addition to that, the women must be accompanied by men when attending these games so a single woman is not allowed to attend this match and it's been highly criticized rightly so it's been criticized especially by Matteo Salvini who is the deputy prime minister of Italy and an avid AC Milan fan he's um, highly criticized this move um, this rule and he does not want this match to be played and he says that he is not going to watch the match because it's being played in Saudi Arabia. So controversy all the way through, but it seems like the Italian FA have not been deterred and they're still going to go ahead with this match. So we'll see how the match pans out, but yeah, a lot of controversy surrounding it. Juventus are obviously heavy favorites and it's probably going to be a filled capacity stadium coming to watch this match and then Ligue 1 is back and main match there is going to be Amiens versus PSG over the weekend let's see how that one goes and then let's talk a little bit about um, the January transfer window so let's first talk about the confirmed transfers as I promised I said I was going to talk about transfers as they happen so, the confirmed transfers so far have been Brahim Diaz, the Manchester City youngster. He has left Manchester City and he has joined Real Madrid for an undisclosed fee. And he has actually, Brahim Diaz has already um, made his first appearance for Real Madrid as he came off the bench in their 3-0 win against Leganes in the Copa del Rey over the, over the week. Um, Florentino Perez claims that he has a model where he wants to sign all the promising Spanish talents and have them all in Real Madrid. So this is definitely a long-term thing and we'll see how it pans out. Samir Nasri, remember him? Well, Samir Nasri has joined West Ham over the winter transfer window 
and he has already played the match because he started in the FA Cup win in the 2-0 win against Birmingham. So let's see how that goes for them. That's a huge transfer and he is going to be available to play against Arsenal, against his former club. So we'll see how that one goes. Benjamin Pavard, the World Cup winner with France, has secured a move from VFB Stuttgart to Bayern Munich for an undisclosed fee. He is joining next season not in the winter not now but they've already signed him and snapped him up remember he plays both at center back and right back and he's just 22 years old so he's definitely going to be coming to um to fix the defensive problems that Bayern have had especially with the depth they don't have much depth in their defense so they definitely need him i don't know if they're still going to go for um hernandez for what's his name for for lucas hernandez since now they've signed Pavar, but we'll see because it seems like Atletico Madrid are adamant not to let Hernandez go despite that ridiculous 80 million euro fee. I don't get how you can say no to that, but they are. And I guess maybe that's why Bayern have signed Benjamin Pavar. And then Pepe. Pepe has moved back to FC Porto. And I think this was a free transfer back to FC Porto, where he played previously. And then Jermaine Defoe has left Bournemouth to go on loan to Rangers until the end of the season. He's going to help Steven Gerrard win the league. Rangers are playing some good football. They've had a good season so far with Steven Gerrard in charge. And um, Defoe is definitely going to help improve upon that. And then some rumors. So it appears that Aaron Ramsey has agreed to a five-year deal with Juventus where he will be earning £140,000 per week. This is as reported by The Guardian. It's already done deal. He's going to join at the end of the season, which would have seen him um, have played for Arsenal for 10 years. We should have seen him play 10 years at Arsenal. He's going to become the second highest paid player at the club, which is crazy in my opinion he's going to be paid higher than the likes of Dybala of Douglas Costa of Marilyn Pjanic Kedira which are all players that are way more established than Ramsey is so I don't know if they're if they're going to end up increasing the wages of all of these players but yeah he's going to be earning 140k per week and he's going to be the second highest paid after Ronaldo in the club that's just crazy and Chelsea are closing on the signings of two midfielders, Leandro Paredes, who is a midfielder for um for Zenit St. Petersburg, I believe. Yeah, he plays for Zenit St. Petersburg and he's an Argentine player. And they're also going to sign another midfielder, Nicolo Barella, who is an Italian who plays for Cagliari. And they are coming in to replace Sas Fabregas, who is on his way to Monaco. So that's, yeah, that, that, that's an interesting one. Interesting little um, transfer rumor there. And also, they are looking to get Higuain on a six-month loan till the end of the season. This is it's probably going to be a very difficult transfer to... Um, to plan out, to actually carry out, because Iguain is currently playing on AC Milan, but he's on loan from Juventus. 
So this means that if he's going to leave AC Milan and come back to Juventus, Juventus have to basically repay half of what AC Milan paid for the loan fee before he can go on to Chelsea. And I'm sure Juventus are obviously going to want to transfer that um, the payment to AC Milan onto Chelsea. So that's so it's going to just increase the um, amount that Chelsea will have to pay. And we're not even sure if it's going to be a loan or a purchase. Room, some rumors say they're going to buy him. Some rumors say it's going to be a loan. I don't know how it's going to pan out, but he has not been in the best of form this season. And even the AC Milan sporting director, um, Leonardo, came out and was highly critical of Higuain, saying that he needs to take responsibility as well for how poorly he has played and how poorly the team has played this season. So all round, yeah, I don't know how it's going to be, but yeah, Chelsea are on the verge of signing these two players and Iguain possibly. And then we've got another transfer rumor with um, Ericsson, Christian Ericsson being linked to a move to Real Madrid. This is obviously going to be in the summer, but it's possible for the deal to be done now before uh, during this winter transfer window. I highly, highly doubt that's going to happen, but who knows? It's possible. But yeah, that's all I've got for the transfer rumors. That's all I've got for today. So I once again would like to thank you guys for listening. You can reach me on social media on Twitter at DKBalat. That's D-K-B-A-L-A-T. And on Instagram at DBalat. That's D-B-A-L-A-T. Thanks guys for listening and I will catch you guys next week. Bye-bye.